Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Thomas Seif, uh, and, and I am so glad to be with you guys today. I am uh, the youth pastor at our Anderson campus, uh, and so youth is taking over slowly between me and Gavin, preaching here uh, over the past two weeks. But, uh, you know, I know this is, uh, the, you guys are entering into summer. My wife uh, is a first grade teacher, and, and uh, shows, so uh, the summer holiday is in full swing. They actually gave families a t-shirt at her school that said, from teachers to parents, that said, tag your it. And so I know this is a time of rest for some of us and a time of joy and burden for others of us in this room. Uh, But I'm glad you're here this morning. Some other news, just a big, uh, in our family, six weeks ago, my wife and I, Emily, had our first son. And so here's a picture of us. Uh, He is uh, six and a half weeks old today. And so um, I would love uh, for you to think that this is what our family looks like all the time, just just staring and enjoying life. Uh, I have another picture. Uh, that's a more accurate reflection of what takes place in the Scythe household. Um, a lot of fun, a lot of crying uh, and laughing. And there you go. I mean, so you, he looks just like his parents, you can tell. Uh, but if you have a Bible, I want us to go to John chapter 1. Uh, John chapter 1. And while you're turning there, uh, I want you to think about someone who is a role model in your life, Uh, someone that you want to be like, right? We all have those types of people. You're like, I want to be like my dad. I want to be like my mom. Uh, For me, that was my older brother, right? And I don't know if you are an older brother or an older sibling in the room, uh, or if you are the younger sibling like myself, but sometimes older brothers can abuse that power, Uh, right? Uh, And I remember uh, watching my brother choose his major. He's an electrical engineer, and and so that helped me choose my my major at A&M, which was engineering. Uh, But I also uh, looked up to him in in advice for my life. Uh, For example, when I was going into uh, seventh grade, I was going to choose an instrument. I was going to start playing an instrument. I went through all the instruments out there, and I chose the trumpet. Uh, And I sat down, and I was like, Jeremy, like, what do you you think? He's like, uh, he's like, first off, don't choose a stupid instrument. And I was like, what? And he's like, you should play drums. And so I switched and I've played drums since the sixth grade, seventh grade. Uh, another example of that is uh, me and my brother used to play something called a Sega Genesis, uh, which some of you may have had and some of you have no idea what that is. But we would play Toy Story without stopping. Uh, but tom- sometimes I'd play by myself and I couldn't beat some of the levels because my brother's seven years older than me. So when I was going into junior high, he was already in college by that point. Uh, and so when we were younger and playing, he was able to beat some of these games. And he said, I will beat this level for you so you can keep playing on one condition. And I said, sure, anything, I will please you. And he goes, I have to be, he goes, I I will beat it for you if you let me sit on you the entire time we play. And I was like, okay, deal. And so I I would lay face down on our carpet watching the TV as my brother would beat that level for me. Um, Aren't older brothers the best, right? Uh, And so we all have these people we want to follow and people we want to model our lives after. Uh, and, And as believers... While there are many people in the, in, the, in the New Testament and the Old Testament that we can look at and we can say, man, I want to model my life after them. Really, as believers, there is one person that we shape our life around, and that is Jesus. We 
should be followers of Jesus as Christians. We, we should shape our life and conform our life to who Jesus is. And as we look through uh, th- these New Testament characters today, and I, I know that we've been calling it founders or heroes of the faith, uh, really, while we look at these characters, the hero every time is Jesus. And these characters just show us something new about who Jesus is. And today, what I want to look at is the Apostle Philip, uh, or he is one of the 12 disciples. There's a couple Philips mentioned in the New Testament. Two of them were kings, not believers. Uh, and so we were not talking about them. And then the, the other two, which get more attention, one is Philip in the book of Acts, who is most famously known for uh, sharing his faith with the Ethiopian eunuch, if you know that story. Uh, but the, the Philip I want to talk about today is the, one of the 12 disciples. He walked with Jesus in his ministry. And I think by looking at Philip's life today, Uh, And the snapshot we get from the scriptures, we can learn what it means to follow Jesus more deeply. We can learn what does it mean, what is is available to us, what what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does that look like? What are the things that a follower of Jesus does? And I believe we can do that by looking at the life of Philip. So if you have a Bible, I would like uh, to go to John chapter 1, verse 43, and let's read. It says in verse 43, on the next day, Jesus wanted to set out for Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. So Philip uh, is here. He's, he's in the, uh, the he, he encounters Jesus. Jesus finds him and he says, Philip, I want you to follow me. Uh, and I th- this is my first point. What I think we can learn from, from Philip's life is this, that everyone is invited to follow Jesus. Everyone is invited to follow Jesus. Now, now what does that mean? When I say follow Jesus, when Jesus makes this offer to follow me, uh, I, I think it's helpful to clarify what we're talking about, right? There, I think there's two components to this, right? At, at, at here at Grace, what we believe is that there are two components to following Jesus. The first deals with salvation and the second with sanctification, right? Uh, as, uh, as in regards to salvation, that takes place by faith in the works of Jesus, right? When we, when we look at our own lives and we say, I, I am a sinner, I, I have done wrong, I have missed what I am supposed to be, and I lay my burdens at Jesus's feet, and I believe that his death and resurrection is enough to satisfy the debt of my sin that's salvation. When we say, I place my faith, I believe in that message. We are saved by grace through faith, and it is not by the works that we do. That's step one in following Jesus. But there's something that happens after that, right? As we come to know Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit crashes into our soul and and, and crashes into our life. He indwells us. That's what the scriptures teaches, teaches us. And the, 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 scripture, or the, the Holy Spirit testifies to us who Jesus is. And as believers, as we learn who Jesus is, our job is to cooperate with the Spirit in our life, to submit to the kingship and the authority of Jesus. And that's called sanctification. We become more and more like who we're supposed to be as we submit to the authority and the kingship of Jesus. So what does that look like? Like I said, it takes place through cooperation with the Holy Spirit. We sit at his feet and we learn from Jesus. We alter our decision-making based on what Jesus says. And it influences the way 
that we talk to other people and minister to other people. That's why at Grace, we say this phrase a lot. We help people find and follow Jesus. Hopefully you've heard that before, but we help introduce people to the Savior and then we teach them to follow him. And so you say, okay, who's invited to follow Jesus? You just said all of us are invited to follow Jesus. How are you getting that uh, from this verse right here? And I want us to read again. Uh, In verse 44, it says, Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the town of Andrew and Peter. And I know what you're saying to yourself. I know everything there is to know about Bethsaida. I love there. My family vacations there. But for those of you who happen to not know anything about that place, let me explain. Um, This is a town on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. It's a fisherman town. Uh, Literally, the name means house of fishing. It's a fisherman city. So more than likely, this is what Philip was involved with. He was a fisherman. We don't know that for certain, uh, but, but in a town like that, that's more than likely what he was involved with. And it says Andrew and Peter were there from there as well. And we know famously Peter was a fisherman. And so what does that mean? It means that, that when we look at Philip, he wasn't from a notable city. He didn't have a notable prof- profession. In fact, there was nothing really notable about him. In fact, nothing, we don't really know anything about him before this moment. He wasn't a great king, a teacher. So what does that tell us? It says that the people that Jesus is seeking after don't have to have a resume built up. They don't have to have a full resume that they can show and say, this is why I get to be a part of the family of God. I hope you, you catch that this morning. Paul will say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. He says, Think about the circumstances of your calling. He's speaking to believers. Brothers and sisters, not many of you were wise by human standards, and not many were powerful. Not many were born to a privileged position. And he goes, Corinthians, wake up. You were not very smart when Jesus called you. You weren't very wise when Jesus called you. You didn't even have a lot of power when Jesus called you. And they're like, ouch, Paul, that hurts. And he's like, but that's the point. He says, Jesus invites everyone to follow him. Something I want us to remember, and I think is easy for us to to forget, and I apologize, I'm struggling with my mic today. Um, It's easy for us to forget is that everyone who enters into a relationship with Jesus brings baggage. There's no one who comes into a relationship with Jesus who brings something to the table, who says, man, Jesus, this is what I offer you man, I, I make your team a little bit better, right? I, 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 with us, we're a dynasty, right? You know, like with me joining your team, uh, everyone brings baggage. Jesus brings everything to the table in our relationship with Jesus. And I think that's, we have to be rooted in that. We have to remember that as the church to say that we only get in because of what Jesus has done. And I want to highlight this real quick in verse 43, uh, because uh, it says Jesus was looking for Philip. Uh, it says he found Philip and said to him, follow me. And I love that because uh, Jesus is intentionally going after Philip here. He is, he is intentionally seeking him out. And I point that out because the fact that you are here today and you're hearing the gospel preached and you are, you're hearing the truth of the scriptures that Kenny is singing. That is, that is God's grace to you. That is, that is Jesus seeking and calling you to himself. 
And it's not an accident, but he is saying, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing in this world. Follow me. And so the question is, would you call yourself a follower of Jesus? Are you submitting to the authority and the kingship of Jesus today? Or are you saying, God, no, I make my own plans. I decide where my family lives based on practical things, right? That's too impractical. Or are you saying, Jesus, let me take this before you first. Are you making relationship decisions by saying, this is what I want, instead of bringing that to the feet of Jesus and saying, God, Jesus, show me, show me what to do. Speak to me on this. One of my favorite uh, pastors that I love listening to is a man named J.D. Greer, and he says this, under the leadership of Jesus, everything flourishes. I want to say that again. Under the leadership of Jesus, everything flourishes. And I say that because some of us would ask, why should I bother to follow Jesus? Why should I bother to submit to his kind of authority? Giving up my rights, giving up my freedom to make my own choices, isn't that limiting? No. Under the leadership of Jesus, everything flourishes. What's amazing about submitting to Jesus is that we no longer have to bear the burden of life's biggest questions by ourselves. We say, Jesus, I, I get to trust you. I don't have to come up with all the answers alone anymore. I get to trust you. If you look at the ministry of Jesus through the Gospels, you see that, that those who are paralyzed are walking. Those who are blind receive sight. Those with diseases for decades are healed. And you see people raised from the dead. That's what Jesus is about. He causes people to flourish. I want you to think about the best boss that you've ever had. And for some of you, you're like, I have to stretch my imagination pretty far for that one. Um, but think about the best boss you have, have ever had. They are not just seeking to advance their own agenda, but good bosses set you up for success so that you are on a good career path, that you are getting to do things that bring life to you, that you are being trained and made better right? And what happens to that kind of boss? You're like, I will, I will die for them. Like I will, I, if they switch companies, I'm following them there because I don't care what I get to do as long as I'm under that kind of leadership. And what I'm saying today is under the leadership of Jesus, everything flourishes. He is better than any other boss that we could ever have. And so every, that is why we would want to follow him because everyone is invited to follow him today. And so second thing I, wanted, I want us to, to address, it's in verse 45 here. It says this, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So you say, well, okay, why are we saying this? There, there's a little bit of a play on words here. Uh, if you read in verse 43, it said that Jesus found Philip. And then verse 45 starts and says, Philip found Nathanael. And here's the second thing I want us to remember about followers of Jesus. Followers are, of Jesus are called to share Jesus. Followers of Jesus are called to share Jesus. Jesus found Philip and the immediate normal natural response was for, for Philip then to go and find others. 
That's not an exceptional thing. That's not a, whoa, that's a crazy, like, look at Philip. That's a normal response to what Jesus has done. And if you are a follower of Jesus, we should be sharing what Jesus is doing in our lives. What, what do you mean? It means we share who Jesus is to us, right? If you look at verse 45 again, it says, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. At this point, Philip does not have a, a, a fully developed Trinitarian theology. He doesn't have a seminary degree. All he knows is, man, the guy we've been anticipating in the Old Testament that I've heard all my life, I've met him. And let me go tell people about him. Sharing what Jesus is doing is the normal response of those who are followers of Jesus. We should be doing that. Uh, I, I get to work with high school students and junior high students every single day, uh, um, being the youth minister at Anderson. And, and one of my favorite things is that there is so much zeal uh, for, for new believers when they're in high school. Uh, and so you see believers who, who come to the faith and then like the next day, they're like, okay, tell me, like, suit me up, let's go. Uh, and, and we have this trip uh, that we take every summer to the UK. We go to York, England, and we take a group of about 10 students there. Uh, and, and it's one of the coolest mission trips that we get to be a part of because while we are there, uh, they get to engage with a post-Christian culture. Uh, and so the culture in England is very much moved on from its Christian heritage. It is something that old people do, and that's it. Young people don't really engage in religion much. In fact, 95% of England uh, is, is not, uh, sorry, 5% is evangelical, and that's it evangelical believing Christian. 95% is other religions or uh, atheist. But the most common thing that we see in younger kids when we're over there is atheism and agnosticism, uh, which atheism obviously is the belief that there is no God. And agnostics would say that maybe there's a God, but he's not knowable and he doesn't do much. Uh, and that's the kind of conversations that our students get to have. And it's fun to see them run in. And, and our students are not, are not uh, super great all the time at being uh, conversationalists. They're awkward people, right? They're, they're, they say weird things. Like I, I was talking last Wednesday night and someone threw a water balloon as I was talking. I was like, kid, what do you, come on, you know? And, and, and yet there's this zeal because they're saying, man, I know Jesus and I want to go and tell people about him. That's the normal response. But it doesn't have to be a mission trip, although it can be. It can, I, I think evangelism and sharing your faith always begins in your home, right? Whether that's with roommates or whether that's with your family. Uh, something that I tell parents is, man, that it, it's one of the best ways to share your faith is through overflow evangelism. You know, like, what is that? Uh, overflow evangelism is like, is not necessarily, let me sit you down and give you a gospel presentation and, and, and map it all out and then make, have you make a decision, but it is people getting to see the overflow of your relationship with Jesus in your home. Um, one of the ways that, that Emily and I do this, we, we obviously had our son a few weeks ago. He can't read yet, uh, but we're reading to him because he's going to be a good reader. My wife's a first grade teacher. Um, and we, we read to him every night. And, and I don't know if you guys know the Coils, Pat and Jeannie Coyle, they gave us the Rhyme Bible, uh, which I was excited that that even existed. But the whole story of scripture is written in rhymes. And so we've already taken him through the Old Testament, uh, and, and we just read to him every single night. And we know he's not able to understand, and he doesn't raise his hand. He's like, I have a question, like Noah, Moses, you know, what's going on there? Uh, but we want to set that pattern. We want our son 
to, to, to see that we value the stories and, and spending time in the Word, even though he's young, right? Getting, letting him be able to see us pray together, or sometimes in the morning, like I'll, just, I'll read my Bible and I'm like holding him. And I'm like, yeah, it'd be easy to set him down or put him up, but I want him to see that up close and to see how, to, how I'm studying the word. And, and that's one of the ways that we can establish that in our homes. So why do we share? Why do we share? 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his plea through us. We're ambassadors. We represent Jesus to the world, and we make the plea to, for, of salvation on God's behalf to other people. That is a grand privilege that we get to have. Uh, one of the best examples to help illustrate this was given to me by a seminary professor of mine, uh, and, and he explained it this way. Uh, he was talking about the newspaper industry, um, which some of you are like, I've never even, like I've heard about that in like a museum once, but that's okay. Uh, but newspapers carry the world's biggest news each and every day, yet they are delivered by kids on bicycles, right? When you think about Newspapers being thrown onto the front lawn. It's typically by, you know, in the movies, it's kids on bicycles. And he says, that's the method that God has chosen to bring the greatest news in the world of Jesus to the world. He gives it to his children who are massively irresponsible in so many ways, but he trusts them. And he says, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing in this world to deliver the greatest news possible. And I love that. Uh, and you see this in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 uh, uh, is the story uh, of the paralytic man. He, he is paralyzed his whole life. He cannot move. He lays on a mat all, all, all day. That's all he does. And you catch this story of the paralytic man. And, and the, Jesus comes to town. And, and you see that Jesus is teaching in this house. And the house is so full that people have busted out of the doors. They're busting out the porch and they're in the street. It is so crowded. And so he gets some of his friends and we don't know whose idea it was. It was someone's idea. I'm sure the paralytic was on board for this, but he says, take me up onto the roof. And they began to dig and they lowered him down through the roof of this house, right? And, and it's, it's a crazy situation because if anyone did that to us today, we'd be like, you're going to pay for that, right? Like, this is, this is not the Kool-Aid man situation. Like, no one's happy that you're doing that. Uh, but Jesus looks at him and responds, and he says, because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. And then he tells him to get up and to walk. And I love what verse 12 says in Mark chapter 2. And it says, the whole, everyone that saw what had happened, when, when this man's life and, and what Jesus had done was put on full display in front of other people, and he shared that with them. It says, they were all amazed, and they glorified God. Because when we participate in sharing what Jesus has done for us, it creates awe. It creates glory for our Father. And God could do that for himself, but he says, I want you to be a part of that. And so followers of Jesus are called to share Jesus. And I want to shift to my last point today, is this. Followers of Jesus are shaped by Jesus. We're going to be going uh, to two other stories of Philip. The first is in John chapter 6, and I'd love for you to turn there. John chapter 6. Um, 
Most of you, if not all of you, have probably heard of this story before. In John chapter 6, we get the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, and it's, a, it's this interesting moment because Jesus' ministry is blown up. The crowds are just swarming in. That He tries to escape them. And they're just like, we're going to follow you anyway, Jesus. Like, what are you going to do about it? And, and, and he has compassion on them. And I love what John chapter 6, verse 5 says, because uh, Jesus sees the crowds. He says in verse 5, it says, lifting up his eyes, that's Jesus, uh, and seeing that the large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And I want to stop right there because this is the first thing I want you to realize. So followers of Jesus are shaped by Jesus. And, and, and as a sub point under that, Jesus is intentional in how he shapes us. Jesus is intentional in how he shapes us. You get to this big moment and Jesus asks Philip the question, how are we going to feed all these people? And to which Philip could have replied, like, Jesus, shouldn't you know that? Like, you just healed a guy. Like, shouldn't you have the answers in this situation? And I love what the next verse says after this. Uh, he, Philip, Jesus says to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. While Jesus could have, could have easily taken care of this situation, Jesus says, I want to create a moment for you, Philip, where your faith will be tested. The way you see the world will be challenged. The, the, the way that you make decisions will be stretched. And he says, I want to intentionally put you in that position. Why? Not to make you suffer, but to grow your faith. The word here is test. He wanted, he wanted this to, to test him, to strengthen him. And I, I, I love thinking about that because so many times we think, oh, if I'm a follower of Jesus, what that means is things will go easy for me and, and I'll coast, right? If I'm faithful to Christ, then he will be great to me. And, and so many times, Jesus has so much bigger plans for you than that. He doesn't just want you to have a comfortable life. He wants you to grow in faith and intimacy with him. And so he will put us in situations intentionally where we are stretched, right? Where you get to a moment where you say, man, dad lost his job this month. What, what are we going to do in response to that? Like we've never had to manage on one income before. And, and Jesus says, man, I don't push you into that lightly. He says, I care deeply, but sometimes Jesus brings us into those moments so that we might rely on him more fully. Sometimes he puts us into these stressful situations like that. And because Jesus is intentionally shaping our faith. And then I want to go uh, to John chapter 14, to my second point here. So Jesus shapes us, but Jesus himself is the means by which we are shaped. The means by which we become more like Jesus is Jesus. And this illustrated here in this last story of Philip in John chapter 14. And it's perhaps Philip's worst moment in the entire New Testament. Jesus, in this moment, is explaining to his disciples, they're in the upper room before Jesus is going to be betrayed and before he will be crucified. He's on the eve of that, and he's explaining to his disciples. He says to his disciples, I have to go soon. And, and they're not quite getting it. Thomas is like piping up, and he's like, hey, like, so like, where are you going? Could you give us directions? Like, we'll meet you there. How about that? And Jesus is like, you don't get it. I, where I'm going, you cannot go. But it's good that I go. 
And then Philip is coming up with this idea because there's stress building in the room. They're saying, Jesus, this doesn't seem like a great plan. Like we, we need something. And in John chapter 14, verse eight, Philip is trying to come up with an idea. And he says, Lord, show us the father and we will be content. Philip comes up with this idea. He says, hey, if you give us this big moment, the, the commentaries I was reading called this a theophany, which means give us an appearance of the Father. Show us his glory. Give us this huge moment with the Father, and that will be able to sustain us until all this hard stuff is done. And look at Jesus' response here to Philip. Jesus replied, have I been with you for so long, and you have not known me, Philip? The person who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? So Philip comes up with this plan and he says, give us this big moment. And Jesus says, the big moment, that's not what you need. What you need is me. Spend time getting to know me, fix your eyes on me, and you will know everything you need to know about the Father. Because as the book of Hebrews says, it says Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. He is in the Father and the Father is in him. And in Christian theology, we believe that our God is one, but in three persons, co-equal, co-eternal. And there's no analogy in the world that can explain that adequately. But Jesus is tapping into that and he says, if you, if you want to know God, come sit at my feet study me. But then later in John chapter 16, you don't have to go there. uh, Jesus will tell his disciples, he says, it's good that I go so that the helper may come. And they're like, Jesus, like, how is it possibly better that you leave us? He goes, because the Holy Spirit will come and will dwell inside you. And he will testify to, to you everything that I've spoken to you. He will help you set your mind and attention on me. And how does that affect us today? What is the primary means in which the Holy Spirit speaks to us? Well, we believe that's the scriptures. If we want to be people shaped by Jesus, if we want to be people who set our minds on Jesus, we have to be rooted in the word of God. That, there, it's, some people are looking for these big moments. I need a conference. I need a great speaker. I need someone to like yell at me for a few minutes or something. Like I need to, like, but it, he says, I've given you what you need in the scriptures. And sometimes it's hard for us to believe that. Uh, And uh, it's an amazing thing, but a a company, or not a company, uh, an organization, the Center for Bible Engagement actually did a study uh, and they surveyed over 400,000 people across 75 denominations in 24 countries, uh, people as young as eight years old and as old as 80 years old. And they were surveying all these people and they were trying to build a religious, what what is the religious landscape of Christianity? How how, how, How are people doing with their spiritual discipline? and struggles. And here's what they found. It's called the power of four. They were looking at how does spending time in scripture affect the way a person lives their life? And they they found that if someone spends one day a week with significant time in scripture, there is statistically no difference in the way that they live their life compared to an unbeliever. He says a believer who spends two times a week, he said there's statistically no difference three times a week. Statistically, no difference. But when you hit four, something began to happen. And they saw statistically significant 
changes in behavior, in devotion to the Lord. And they found that when you spend time in the word four or more times a week, so more often than not, it says people who did that were 228% more likely to share their faith with other people. They were 400% more likely to have scripture memorized. They were 59% less likely to view pornography. And they were 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. And this, we didn't need an organization to tell us that the word of God is powerful, but it's helpful because when there is a direct relationship between our commitment to know the word and our ability to be shaped by Jesus and to look like him, it won't happen apart from that. And so my challenge for us today is that we would be a people who would set our minds on Jesus. We'd be followers of Jesus. We'd be sharers of what Jesus has done, but we'd be rooted in the scriptures. And so as an application today, and as we close, we're going to end with uh, communion. Um, and, and you might be saying, how does, how, how does that uh, tie in here? Um, and, the, and the deacons, you guys can begin to prepare this stuff. Um, uh, but communion is something, is a gift that, that, that Christ has given us. It's a picture of what Jesus has done for us, where the bread represents his body and the cup that we drink represents his blood. And he says, man, I, I want to give you this picture because we're so prone to forget. And he says, I want to give you this picture so that you would remember the power that is available to you as a believer. And communion is something that is for the family of God. It's for those who have placed their faith in Jesus. So if you're not a believer, uh, then, then kindly we'd ask that you would pass the plate uh, on to the next person. Uh, because in communion, in, in celebrating this, we're not just setting our mind on, on what Jesus has done for us. We're also remembering what Jesus has done for us in the past. We look back to our baptism and, and we say, Jesus, you have changed my life. What you have done was sufficient. I, I, I still believe that. I reaffirm that. I remind me of that. And so because being shaped by Jesus and following Jesus is rooted in the work of Jesus, that's where we want to end today. And so I want to create a moment here where you can, uh, you can pray, but talk to God and say, God, man, show me, show me more of you. Bring to mind, set my mind on your death and resurrection. I'm going to feel that so fully today. And so as the, the deacons come and, and, and pass the plate, uh, take some time to set your mind on that right now. First Corinthians chapter 11, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. For, uh, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. For every time you eat this bread and drink the cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, we humbly become before you. God, and we just confess that we are inadequate to follow you on our own. Strengthen us today, Lord. Draw us in. Help us to be satisfied in you. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, he says, my prayer is that you might just know Jesus better. So God, give us that gift. Help us to set our minds and our attention. God, may we cherish the scriptures so that we might follow you faithfully. God, and we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.